within the heart of every man is actually the heart of a boy. And that heart of a boy is seeking some sense of identity, understanding, acceptance. You know, these are part of, you know, again, the masculine journey. We, we define it by culture. We define it by socially accepted norms. But I think there's the physiological side, there's the cultural side, and I think there's the wiring within human personality. Hello and welcome to the Confidential Podcast, where we discuss and demystify life and everything that impacts it. I'm Simone Gisondi, author, health strategist, life transformation consultant, and overall life enthusiast. I dive deep into the fascinating world of life with each show. Each episode features in-depth conversations with experts, thought leaders, as well as personal stories and experiences that will bring the world around us to life. Whether you're a curious newcomer or a passionate enthusiast, come with me on a journey of discovery and enlightenment. Tune in every week and join me as I demystify all things that touch life. Thank you, everyone, and welcome back to The Confidential. Today is the masculine, the masculine season, and I have such a special guest for you guys today. I brought back my very dear friend, Dr. Russ Irwin, who has a PhD in clinical psychology, and I'm going to give him an opportunity to reintroduce himself, but just to quickly let you know, he is a master guru. That's what I think of him because he is one of the most intelligent people that I have ever met. And you will see exactly why I say that once we start the conversation. He is a professor at McMaster University, uh, worked in clinic during, doing marriage counseling. And that's why I have him on the show because he truly is going to channel his brilliance. He's also a highly sought after executive coach since 2006 when he launched Irwin and Associates Coaching. And he has actually seen an increased growth in his personal coaching business since that time because he's got unique expertise as a successful entrepreneur and human behavior specialist. Dr. Ross Irwin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Simone. It's good to be with you. That's a wonderful introduction. I hope most of it's true. Um, I know, you know it at, is. At some point when I when I'm introduced which which such splendor, and I thank you for all those accolades. I, I, I think one time I want to do a podcast or I want to start when someone asks me a question. I'm just itching to say, you know, I really have no clue. But if you ever find out, please let me know. But no, I won't embarrass you tonight. No, no, you know what? Okay. Just for the record, and I want to say to everybody, because I know a few people have their PhDs and I have so much respect because I know what it takes. I'm going to equate that, not that it's equal to, <clears throat> but the amount of time and effort that I have put in the gym to be able to do fitness shows, I know what it takes to dedicate yourself to something. And mm -hmm. PhD is probably at the very top of that. And I think that you guys really earned that doctor. And you also earned that PhD after your name. So I really hope you wear it proudly because you really are brilliant. And I know that it takes a whole lot of effort. It has a, a lot of consistency, a lot of a lot of a lot to be able to get to that level. And I know you have you and for the audience, Dr. Irwin actually mentored me. So that's why I wanted to have him on the show because I know how brilliant he is. And you guys are going to be so enlightened. And I don't say that lightly by what he's about to impart. So to start the conversation, Dr. Irwin, I would like to know in your opinion, especially because you worked with both men and women in clinic when you did um, your counseling for married couples, what is masculinity to you? Wow. Well, first of all, I, again, thank you. I think the PH and PhD stands for please help me. <laughs> um, 
the, you know, I, I think masculinity is really challenging to define it in terms of a phrase. I mean, the easy definition would be masculinity, it talks about men. And so masculinity is simply being a man. Well, what does it mean? Then we move towards what does it really mean to be a man? And of course, that has varying definitions in different cultures. And of course, society right now, I think, is really um, desiring to revamp that. And I'm not sure it's in the most healthy of ways. But I think to most appropriately come to some form of a working definition of what is masculinity or more so what does it mean to be a man? And maybe we can unpack this a little bit during the show tonight. One has to really understand what actually is the masculine journey. And there are particular stages that are time that are where well, they've been since the beginning of time um, that are involved in that. And so I think masculinity first and foremost, and I hate to make it sound so simplistic, it's really being a man. And then we need to ask ourselves after that, well, what really being, what does being a man actually mean? Exactly. Like, what do you have to channel to be considered a masculine man? Because I know that physiologically speaking and biologically speaking, if you have the anatomy of a man, so you have all the required organs that would qualify you as a man, uh, but there are quite varied degrees of there are men who are strong. There are men who are not strong, quite weak. There are men who are confident. There are men who are powerful. There are men who are dangerous. There are men who are assertive. Where on the spectrum would you sort of qualify yourself as a masculine man when you take all of these things into account, especially in today's climate when toxic, the whole idea of toxic masculinity has come to be uh, yeah. the word du jour. So that's why I wanted to hear from you, not only because you are a masculine man, so I'm looking at it through my own lens of what I consider a masculine man, mm -hmm. but you are a man and you've worked with men. And I'm sure that you too, in your practice, you've been able to see the varying degrees of men and where they sort of fall on that spectrum of assertive, confident, strong, powerful, dangerous, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So so I would say this, and 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 I'll try to speak of myself and be both vulnerable and authentic in this conversation. Um, I would prefer not to have it any other way, you know, personally. But I would say to begin with, within the heart of every man is actually the heart of a boy. And that heart of a boy is seeking some sense of identity, understanding, acceptance. Um, you know, these are part of, you know, again, the masculine journey. And then, of course, we, you know, masculinity is not, we, we define it by culture. We define it by socially accepted norms. But I think masculinity is, all, and of course, you referred to various organ parts. So there are certain things that make you a woman that do not make me a woman. There are certain things that make me a man that would not make you a man simply because of, of, of physiological um, attributes. But I think there's the physiological side, there's the cultural side, and I think there's the wiring within human personality. And that's where we really start to unpack the power of polarity, i.e. the feminine energy and the masculine energy, which is so very important for balance within society, but has also been grossly distorted. And so I think right now, in terms of masculinity, there's a great deal of role confusion out there. People are asking mm -hmm. a lot of questions right now, and some of the ones that are giving the answers are uncertain themselves. But I do think it's a good starting point within the heart of every man's the heart of a boy. And I think part of understanding who we are as adults, as masculine men, I would probably say this, and this would be a little bit more of a clinical slant towards things, is what unresolved issues might we still have in our boyhood? 
So in other words, as I look back in my journey, are there are there things left undone? Where, where am I in terms of my development as a boy in transitioning into manhood really helps me to understand and to exhibit whether or not I'm going to have a healthy uh, masculinity in my adult years or not. So I think the masculine search in the adult years really begins during boyhood. Right. And does that, is that contingent upon the kind of exposure to the kind of men that you have, the kind of role models? Well, I, I think that plays a, a large role. And, and I want to be both respectful and and sincerely cautious here in that I would say this, that there are generally within behavioral and personality dynamic circles, there's the identification of six stages of a man's life, which really help us to understand this masculine journey. And the first one, really, it goes back to boyhood, and it's that stage of beloved son. Now, again, I'm going to say this, and then I want to explain some caveats attached to that. In the beloved son stage during boyhood, this is the stage where a young boy needs to know that his father delights in him. Now, I could just hear the cries of very, very well-intentioned females right now saying, but hold it, there is no man in my son's life, and I'm a single mom. Does that mean that I'm going to do an ineffective job? No, not at all. But it's very, very interesting, and again, I understand these things are changing, and I'm not wanting to take a societal stereotypical approach to something that belonged back in the 50s or 60s. But it's really interesting that the female generally brings a very strong nurturing role to the development of a child and a boy needs that and there is a sense of identity for boyhood that comes from the father and the boy needs that now we are in a society today where there are so many single men that are bringing up children i was one myself for a number of years there are a number of single women that are trying to bring up children and also doing their best so when i make these points i am not saying that if we were talking about the feminine journey that does not mean that a man cannot successfully bring up a daughter because there's no woman feet present and vice versa in terms of a single woman cannot be ineffective would not be ineffective in bringing up a son because there's the missing element of a father but i am saying when we look at the stages of development a man is really a boy at heart and some of the issues that are left unresolved in in childhood or even into the adolescent stages do play some kind of a role or can have a correlative negative effect in our adult understanding of masculinity. And so if I look at these six stages, it begins with that stage of being a beloved son. And, and that is the beginning stage in boyhood where identity starts to develop. And we need to have this sense of healthy understanding of who we are. And oftentimes that sense of identity comes from the father. And there's something about that young boy that needs to know that maybe his mom loves him maternal and of course needs to know the father loves him but needs to know my mom loves me that's maternal but my father's proud of me and again in today's society there could be hundreds of people that would agree there could be some that would be screaming you know that this is wrong you're stereotyping things but generally speaking we're wired as young boys we we are we are wanting to please our fathers because that's where our sense of identity and strength comes from. So the beloved son or boyhood stage, which is the first of six, is extremely important in the defining of how we will do our adult years. And interestingly enough, a lot of people saw Sigmund Freud, for example, going back you know 150 years, as as kind of the sex doctor. 
He was the guy who was inappropriate for his time, but actually he was very well advanced for his time. But he was the guy that really talked a lot about sex. But interesting that Freud's original work was not so much in the area of sex. It was in the area of childhood challenges create adult difficulties. And so Freud was very, very interested in and impacted on how our childhood later affects our adult years. And then, of course, there was an individual by the name of Dr. Peter Fongay that really carried on a lot of that research and had some break, groundbreaking research about 40 years ago, 30 years ago or so, and how childhood, unresolved childhood issues play a role in personality disorders within adulthood. And so what I'm saying is all that to say this, there is something about that beloved son stage, that boyhood stage, that is foundational in the development of our masculine understanding as part of this journey. Oh, wow. So what are some of the traits that would have to be present for, I guess, a boy to really go towards his masculine or be able to embody the masculine? And does he have to, to see that from the male figure in, in his life, which ties in with what you said earlier? What about single women that had to raise children? How do those boys become masculine men or do they even later on in life? And, and, you know, I mean, obviously, it, this comes down to the nature-nurture argument that's been around for years and is never going to go mm -hmm. anywhere. And there are brilliant theorists on each side um, saying all that to say that environment does play a huge role in our development. That does not say that a single mom cannot raise a wonderful masculine young boy in turn, and he grew up to be, you know, an incredible masculine man. It does not mean that a single father cannot raise a daughter to be a wonderful example of womanhood later on in her life as well. Mm -hmm. But I am saying that there are certain things that a woman deposits, again, not stereotyping, nor am I going there barefoot and pregnant at home doing dishes, not at all. And you would know me well enough to Simone to know that I am not that type of person. Absolutely. And I'm often asked as a psychologist and even as a, as a work consultant, well, who should get the job, a man or a woman? I says, well, who's best for the job? That's right. Because the best person has got nothing to do with gender. It's who's most qualified to get the job, should get the job. It's not about ever, nor should it be about race and gender. Right. But I want to say this, that there are certain things within women that they are wired in certain ways um, from a maternal perspective does not mean they cannot be strong, cannot be assertive, cannot be successful in business. But there is a, a maternal side in the wiring of a woman that's different than the wiring within a man. There is something that's wired within a man and what they bring to the environment of developing children, particularly young boys, that a woman does not necessarily mean. And so, you know, it goes back to, and if I look at a business perspective, you know, somebody would say, well, how do you, how does a company become successful? And so, well, there's several things, but what's most important is everybody needs to know their gift, know their skill and know their role. And so I think it's very, very helpful without getting caught up in so much of the fear and the stereotype in society that we have today, but simply have an understanding of our gift, our skill, and what's our role. And I think women play an amazing, beautiful, and very necessary role in the development and the upbringing of a young boy in, in, as they're journeying towards their masculine journey. And I think the man, the father, or whomever plays a very important role, even a grandfather oftentimes these days, plays a very important role in the development of that journey also in a young boy. I'd like to take a quick break now to let you know that today's show is sponsored by my book, Against Medical Advice. This book is a memoir, 
and it tells the story of how I built my life back after suffering a stroke during my divorce. I discuss the nutritional, lifestyle, and mindset aspects that I put into practice to regain my health and rebuild my life. The book has been a labor of love, both writing it and publishing it, and I couldn't be more proud of it. Please pick up your copy from Amazon. For your very own signed copy, my email address is simone at simonegisandi.com. Oh, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd please consider leaving a review once you've read the book. And now, back to the show. I have to say, I, I raised my kids uh, by myself, both of whom are boys. Yes. And I think the beauty of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, you've obviously studied this in depth. I found because I, as a woman, can feel through my feel through my feelings. I feel what masculine men is a masculine man. Like I feel the masculinity in a man, maybe through my femininity. And I was able to guide my boys on how to channel the masculine. Mm -hmm. But I also had a great relationship. I mean, I still do with my ex-husband and he was the male figure in their life. Mm -hmm. And I think um, likewise, fathers can also guide daughters in the mm -hmm. sense of guiding them in how to be feminine and encourage yeah. those kind of things, uh, whether they be through actions or, or behaviors of let's take you shopping and buy dresses, things that typically represent femininity, mm -hmm. um, even though actions and behaviors not are not necessary, the sense of being, because you want to be masculine, you're not a, you're a human being, you're not a human doing. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much what we do, but what we are and how we channel that and how we embody it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I wanted to know for those out in the, in the world that are single parents, how do they guide their children to be able to embody and channel the respective masculine and feminine energies, um, especially in a world that seems to be so um, so much in chaos and so confused today, yeah. because we have so many layers of women and and you know pronouns and sure. birth person and things that have just gone so far from what we know. And I think, and also because you're a psychologist, I really wanted to touch on this. It's difficult for us, even as through the generations, to be able to take this in and apply it with such rapidity. Like we mm -hmm. are expected to be able to respect that other people want pronouns. I've been in this situation where people want to be referred to as a certain pronoun, but I, my mind and my very way of expressing myself is so used to it. I have 48 years of practice in referring to people the way I have this whole time. So it's sure. difficult for me to go and automatically be able, and people get offended. Mm -hmm. um, and how do we stay true to what we, uh, for example, for me, I, I have my own values and I look at masculinity and femininity in a very traditional way. Is there space for me in today's society to be able to stay true to how I feel about it rather than try to abide by how others feel about it? Well, I, I think that, first of all, yes, there is room for that. But most importantly is how do we define room? Is that room based upon society's norms or based upon your trueness to your values and how you would choose to bring up your kids? So, for example, if I held a value system that was very traditional, 
and and I am a man within the house and have a wife who is a woman within the house and we understand our roles our get when I say our roles is not you stay home I go to work that's not what I mean by roles but I'm saying but our our, our natural wiring and the way our creator has wired us to be that's and how right. the woman would love the children and how the man would love the children I'm not talking about who goes to work and who doesn't um, and, and unfortunately, when people hear these kind of conversations, that's where they go to immediately. And that's not what we're discussing tonight. Um, but but I, I would say this, that if, 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 if my values would be a bit of a traditional value and John or Jane Doe down the road don't like my values and they choose to raise their children differently, mm-hmm. then I need to celebrate the diversity of difference. Right. You know, this is how you feel in your heart to raise your children. Um, you need to do that. But I need to be true to my values in raising my children. I think where we err as a society is when we try to place our values on others mm-hmm. and go as far as demanding that they live by them. Now, again, right. we have to have a framework of absolutes within society. and You have to have laws or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, but I, I, I think it's being true to what works within the framework of our home. And we have to be true to our values. Now, one thing I would say is that, you know, when you look at that single mom, for example, because I know, Simone, you were one, and we've had many conversations, Mm -hmm. you know, about that, and you've done a wonderful job with your kids, and your kids are young adults now, adults Mm -hmm. now, and they're doing fantastic, and you need to be very, very proud for the work that you've done. Thank you, and I am. Yeah, and the years that I've known you. I would say this, because life works on a balancing system, and because polarity is not only of grave importance, but it's of necessity. So we talked a little bit about our last pod- podcast in terms of relationships and couples. Mm-hmm. If you have a woman that operates continually in a feminine energy, then oftentimes the man will be go will go more passive and go more feminine. Excuse me. If the woman's operating in a masculine energy, the man, again, to keep for polarity and balance, will probably have a tendency, unbeknownst to himself, Mm-hmm. to operate more in a passive or a feminine type energy. And a lot of people will see it as just keeping the peace. If a woman goes masculine, then oftentimes it's because there has been that missing element of masculinity within her life. And for oh. some reason, at some point, it might be for survival, uh, whatever it is that they have needed to add this element to themselves because that element was missing. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying every man has to have a woman to be complete, nor a woman have a man to be complete. But I'm saying the way that our world is, in a sense, and the way that we are wired is that life works on the balancing of polarity. And so if a man, for example, exhibits more of a feminine type energy, and I see this in couples, then it doesn't mean it's wrong. It works for them and they're happy. And I mean, that's wonderful. But if a man is more feminine in his energy, a woman will automatically go masculine. And so we're going to have this polarity regardless. Now, going back to raising children, you know, so if if a woman is raising a young boy, okay, well, what are the tools that I have or what do I need? Well, certainly there's wonderful things that are offered to us today. But I would say this, the way that nature works, as a woman, she's going to have that maternal side for that young boy. But because there is that missing element of masculine energy, she's also going to, in a sense, I'd like to say automatically, she's going to develop aspects of masculine energy that are going to be required and are needed by the son. So I'll give you an example. You know, a number of years ago when my wife had passed away at the time, I had a 16-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of things I had to learn 
that were not natural within me from a maternal perspective. But, you know, it's amazing in a sense how easy it came because it was something that was of necessity. And so I think some of these things are, I think every man has the ability to operate with a feminine energy and every woman a masculine energy. We have both energies within us. Is which one are we most comfortable with and which one is most dominant and which one is our partner most operating in? So true. Now that I think about it, I know that when you see fathers, they melt when they have their young, like the ladies, the little girls. Mm -hmm. That is likewise for mothers in the way yeah. that they interact with the with the masculine uh, in their boys. And the next thing I wanted to hear from you. Sorry, Simone, if I could just mention one thing, because that's a really good point that you mentioned there. Mm -hmm. is you got dad melting with the daughter and mom melting with the son. Right. You're still watching the journey of, of your children. And I don't mean your specific, but in someone's children, mm -hmm. you'll see times where that daughter deviates to the man and she's daddy's girl. Then all of a sudden she's over to the mom. And it's like dad doesn't exist anymore. And mom's yes. ever come back to dad, then mom. And then you have times where the little boy just wants to pick up the hammer and be just like dad. That's and right. then over there, then mom's the best. And so you watch this balancing act that goes on as the boy or the daughter is moving to the father and moving back and forth. And they're bobbing and weaving in between the parents. And part of that is, is the, it's, it's, it's really to do with the identity development as they are trying to find out who they are and where they fit in. And that really ties into the six stages. And I think at some point in the conversation, I would really love to share those six stages because I think that they make a, a tremendous amount of sense. And it would really help us to understand why some of the challenges we have today is because why we've deviated from them. Yes, actually, I would. I think that that would be phenomenal and very, very helpful for the audience. And I also wanted to mention that perhaps when you say that we bob and weave in between the two, it's also because uh, men also channel feminine energy, but they lead with the masculine. At least that's how mm -hmm. it nat we're naturally wired. Yeah. As well as for women, supposed to lead with the feminine because that's how we're naturally wired. So perhaps at those early stages, we go in between the two as we interact with our parents. So we turn mm -hmm. more feminine as we interact with the masculine, with our father, and we turn the six stages. So the first one you've already identified, the beloved son. Yeah. So the, the first one, the beloved son, and that's during boyhood. And this is where a boy really needs to know right. that his father delights in him. And that's the boy in a sense saying, but not with words, hey, dad, are you proud of me? The second one, and I love this term, and I know people are going to think I'm stereotyping, but I'm honestly not. It's the cowboy stage. And oh, the cowboy stage begins at adolescence. And that's the time of adventure, hard work, the taking of risks. Now, there could be a lady saying, well, hold on a second. I grew up with five brothers and I was a cowgirl. Well, of course you could have very well been. And I'm not saying that you can't, but again, polarity, we're bobbing and weaving back and forth between energies as we're developing our identity. But the cowboy stage, that's that stage where, you know, we kind of want to step out now. And we're taking some of these risks in this adventure called life. And we're trying to find ourselves. The third stage, which is a very important and cool stage, is the warrior stage. And the warrior stage is generally in that young adulthood, early 20s. And this is the stage where a young man needs a mission. This is where the young man needs a sense of a cause, a purpose, something to dig, to sink their teeth into, something worth fighting for. And this stage is best entered before the next stage, which is the lover stage. 
And the lover stage is in the 20 to 30s. Now, that doesn't mean you can't fall in love when you're 14. I mean, I fell in love in kindergarten with a girl named Shirley when I was four and a half. And if it wasn't for the fact that she kicked me in the shins in recess, I would have married her. And so, I mean, we, we do, we can have crushes and fall in love when we're young. But that lover stage in the 20s and 30s in young adulthood, what that really is, is that's the awakening of the heart. So you've had this sense of identity that is really beginning to develop in the boyhood stage. And the cowboy stage is like, you know, I'm a man now. Well, I'm not, but I'm trying to find out what that means. And so I'm looking for a cause and a mission, you know, and, and then the lover stage. Now, all of a sudden, my heart gets awakened. And this could manifest itself in, in romance, in love, in music. And the cool thing about the lover stage, and this is why it's so important for parents to hear this, particularly in the raising of sons, the lover stage is the stage where we learn to, to I think, accept, to understand, to recognize that this is culturally, it should be culturally acceptable. This is where we start to discover our heart. And as we're discovering our heart, that leads to the stage where we're able now to effectively and with little insecurities share our heart with another in a relationship. So in that lover stage, that is the stage that has been lost. And so if I just segue for a moment, if we look at the last number of years, what is it to be a man? Well, big boys don't cry. Well, yeah, first of all, I'm five and the guy hit me in the head with a shovel. Why shouldn't I cry? And my dad says, well, I'll give you something to cry about, boy, if you don't stop crying. And so I learn as a young boy that I need to hold back my feelings, that being a man is not being vulnerable. It's not being authentic. So really, it's not being real, integral, and honest. I'm just going to stick my chest up and I'm going to face the world and I'm going to go after it. Well, that might work well when I'm five and maybe into my early teenage years, but that's going to create a problematic issue in my marriage if I don't know how to share my feelings mm. or if I'm confused about the role that feelings should even have in my life. Now, so we had that particular cultural societal outlook. And so big boys don't cry and real men are real men. Well, now we've realized that it's not that that's totally wrong. It's just that it was a full pendulum swing to the right. So now we're saying, well, hold on a second. Um, we've got emotions. What do we do with those? And so now society said, you just now you need to you need to cry and you need to get scared and you need to do this. And and, and so there has been this pendulum swing to the left now and almost this feminizing or demasculinizing within our society of men. And what I'm saying is health is not being this kid, you know, that has no feelings or this man that has no feelings and he's just strong and aggressive. Um, he's a cowboy. Well, yeah, he can be at adolescence, but now not in his 30s, nor is it being, in a sense, so passive that a woman in a feminine energy doesn't feel safe around us because they're feeling like they're having to step into the masculine energy role because we're operating a feminine role. And so it's finding that balance. So it's being strong, it's being assertive, it's being protective, it's having that healthy sense of identity, knowing who you are, but in the same sense, having that willingness and security of heart to cry when you need to cry, to share with your feelings, to be able to talk things out, to sit down with your wife and say, oh my gosh, now this is really crazy. And I know men all around are going to be laughing at me when I say this, but Honey, I just, I came across this amazing poem I want to share with you. And, and so I, I think it's finding that balance because remember, 
as a man, I have masculine energy in me and I'm wired for that. However, I also have feminine energy within me as well. And so I need to learn to discern which one needs to come out at what point. And I can't be so dominant in the one at the expense of bearing the other. And so this lover stage is so important as awakening of the heart. If we don't allow the lover stage to happen, it makes it very problematic in our relationships with our partners. And second of all, it can send some chaotic signals to our young son now, for example, who's in that boyhead beloved son stage, or the cowboy adolescence, he's like, yeah, thanks, dad. I know what it is, man. I just banged my, you know, I broke my finger here with the hammer, but look at me. I'm just laughing now because I'm a man. Well, no, we'll give a distorted understanding of what that cowboy stage actually is. So that's the lover stage. The fifth stage is the king stage. And again, I, I, you know, if people want to watch this podcast looking for a crack, looking for a dent, or looking for an issue to complain, of course they'll find it. But I, I want to say that there, there, there is there needs to be a sense of equality within our culture. But in a sense, there is diversity, because listen, you're just different than me, and I'm different than you. Because I'm a man, you're a woman. If the differences aren't all obvious, then we've really got a bigger challenge. So in the king stage, this is generally around the beginning of the '40s and really goes into the '50s as well. And at this stage, this is where the character, because we're talking about men tonight, this is where the character of the man and his wholeheartedness has been shaped enough that they can be entrusted with power, money, and influence. Mm -hmm. And if we haven't worked through those other stages, particularly the lover stage, and the lover stage is not all about, you know, I'm a great lover, man. It's not just what we're talking about. It's the awakening of the heart. And the awakening of the heart is the also the awakening of being comfortable with honesty. So if I'm going to cry around you as a woman, I'm actually comfortable with that. And I'm going to be honest with those emotions. And that balance, that honesty, that awakening of the heart allows us to appropriately steward power. If we don't, if we don't learn those things, there are more individuals out there, more, I mean, more men that I've coached, that as I start sharing these stages, they break down crying and they recognize that they're misappropriating the king stage because either they weren't taught or they denied themselves the prior four stages. So now that my character has, has been, in a sense, tried, there's this wholeheartedness has been developed. It's been shaped to the point where I can be entrusted with, as I said, power, money, influence. This is a beautiful, demanding stage that now requires two extremely important things within the masculine journey, and that's wisdom and selflessness. And selflessness is very, very important in wholehearted masculinity selfishness would be it's all about me woman well that's not being a man that's being an idiot but selflessness says hey hold on a second this is what i would like this is what i need and it's not that i put my needs aside i'm willing to talk about my needs but if i needed to put my needs aside to serve you and if only one person could be served at the moment then it's going to be you and i've learned that because i've navigated with hopefully good role models those other prior stages. And after that king stage, we move into that sage stage. And that's about 60 and beyond. And Eric Erickson, the famed psychosocial um, analyst who actually studied under Freud, and Freud, of course, came up with the five psychosexual stages. And, you know, Erickson was really a disciple of Freud, and Freud had hoped that when he had passed on, Erickson would have continued on his work. 
But Erickson, he he did continue to a sense, but he expanded Freud's work and he said, hold it, there's a whole social aspect to being here. And he came up with what famed is known as the eight psychosocial stages. And he has this wonderful stage that what I'm referring to as the sage stage in the masculine journey, he referred to in psychological terms um, in developmental cycle as um, generativity versus stagnation. And what that simply means is this, that I hit this age where I can I can just kind of sit and retire and do nothing. I could just play golf 50 times a week. I could stare at the wall. I could die within two years of leaving my career. Or I can ask myself some very powerful questions from a legacy perspective. How do I take who I am, everything I've learned, and the gifts and the skill set that my, my creator has created or embedded innately within me, and how do I pass that on? So what happens is we're not really looking forward as much as we're looking back, but not back into our own lives, but we're looking in a sense behind us of those that will follow. And we're wanting to take everything in our journey and we're wanting to pass it on. So the sage stage or that generativity versus stagnation, according to Erickson, that's that, and you know, I jokingly say the silver haired stage where we step aside now and we do two things. Number one, we mentor young men to carry the load and then we allow them to step up to the plate, of course, making mistakes because it's about process and progress, not perfection. But now we also step aside and we allow them to bloom in their lover stage, in their king stage in their early 40s. And we're there now to provide support and wisdom and counsel as the sage. And these six stages, Simone, are extremely important and of grave necessity. I think if I could use the term for the success of the masculine journey, and we can even bob and weave. So for example, you know, a person could be 45, 50 years old, maybe they go through a divorce or they lose a spouse and then they refall in love. And of course, what do they do when they fall in love? Oh, you're just, I'm just going to show her how amazing a man I am. And I go back to the cowboy stage and I'm 50 <laughs> or I've, fall in love again, you know, as I did. And now I'm at the lover stage again, and my heart is awakening, you know, and maybe I'd been closed for a long time. Or again, what can close off the heart in the masculine journey is self-protection when we've been burned in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I might at 55, go back to that awakening of my heart and the lover stage. So these are six stages. And in a sense, it looks as though they're incremental and they are. However, we can at times bob and weave depending on the variables and, and the situations that are happening in our lives. I love these six stages. I actually wrote them down. I'm going to recap at the end of the show, but it's so, it's so important that we see exactly the way you described is exactly how we kind of evolve in our life from the beginning stages when we start to, I mean, I'm talking about men, of course, to embody the masculine to the end stage where you become a sage and you're able to mentor those mm -hmm. that obviously are younger than you. And I love how you explained how everything actually unfolds. And I'm, I'm wondering, <clears throat> tying into this, most of what society has created, and, and by society, I mean mostly Hollywood, is what is being portrayed as masculine mm -hmm. and what men look at and see, especially having the exposure to so much of what's in the media as, hey, that's what it is 
that's what a man is. That's what a masculine man is. So I have to emulate that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think so social media, I mean, obviously I, yes. I, not, I don't want to diss social media because a lot of people will use it for marketing purposes with their job. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, like anything, there's the blessing, the curse involved. It's, it's what do we do with it? But, yes. you know, I can watch, turn on the TV and in this box on one channel, I can watch Thor. And I'm watching this muscular, you know, man who's Thor with right. a hammer in his hand. It's like, that's a man's man. And women are melting watching him and men are melting watching him. And they've got a man crush on Thor now. Mm -hmm. Well, then I could flip the channel and I could see this feminizing of a man. And it's like, I don't get it. Like one guy's dressed like a gladiator. The other guy's dressed in a dress. And I'm not saying this to be disrespectful to anybody. What I'm simply saying is media in many ways has created a lot of confusion with society. I'm not against social media. I'm not necessarily pro-social media. I'm simply saying that everything has to have a balance. And I think that as much as it has been beneficial, there has been, and there's research to back that up, and I'll share this in a second, there has been a great degenerating of our society yes. through you know, Facebook and TikTok and various things like that. In fact, one behaviorist, and, and I wish I could remember the name because I'd really love to give credence to this individual, but they said that the amount of data via social media that's coming our way, unbeknownst to our own neurological wiring, is assaultive on the human soul. Wow. And so what he was saying is he said, look it, there are things that are happening to the human psyche on a neural level and at an unconscious level that we are unaware of because 11,000 thoughts you know, per hour are hitting our brain. And so we are bombarded with information. Now, the challenge is this, we're not only suffering from information overload, we're now suffering from option overload. You know, which site do we go on? What do I, I mean, people will spend hours trolling these sites. And what he said is, you know what? The research is ongoing, but the results are in. That the amount of data that's coming our way and the destruction within society through social media, he termed it an, uh, an assault on the human soul. They went as far as to post some research. And I believe that Harvard, New England Journal of Medicine, many of these very, very renowned research schools that have been looking into the the negative effects of social media and even its neurological impact the research is fairly conclusive that so this is not russ's opinion this is not dr russ this is research mm -hmm. is the research is conclu conclusive that envy depression jealousy anxiety increase proportionally to one's intake of the use of social media wow so we are setting ourselves up for a lot of, in what I would term, my term now, psychic failure. Psychic and of course, failure. that one research said, this is an assault on the human soul. And so we are losing the way that we have fought for over 100 years to find. The interesting thing is this, that what was going on in the 60s, you know, at Hyde Ashbury and, you know, so much of the the revolt, the, the the revolt within society, you know, and dropout and flower power and love and demonstration, all these things. And I'm not against any of them. But the interesting thing is this is historically, when you look at the whole 60s movement, and what a lot of older people is like, well, that was the degradation of society. And look at the rebellion of our young people, maybe. But you know what the big question, Simone, that was asked in the 60s that behaviors discovered was this, Everybody was just trying to find out who they were. 
we were actually as a culture in an identity crisis in the 60s. So last, let's fast forward about 60 years, 450 years. Guess where we are today? Still we're in an identity crisis. Yes. We are still trying to find our way. The only difference now between now and the 60s is the absolute overload of data and the availability of social media that's really impacting a lot of identity development. Do you <clears throat> do you feel in your professional opinion and personal, of course, if we were to strip away all of the Hollywood social media media stuff, do you think that it would be possible for us to be operating from exactly as nature has wired us in the masculine and the feminine? Well, you know, that's that's a tough question because we're talking about human beings and human behavior. And that would be like, so if, if, you know, Noah at the ark allowed 10 other people on, could have society been different and maybe sin dealt with? I mean, that's the age old question we've been dealing with from the beginning and, and human nature hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, right. We've just become better educated fools, I think. But I, I guess my question, my response would be this. I think many things in life. I don't want to say everything because um, I, I want to be true to my values and some things that I wouldn't agree with. But I think most things, they are dangerous when they're out of balance. Yes. And so if somebody said to me, are you against social media? Absolutely not. But I'm against anything or I'm challenged by anything that's out of balance. My opinion now, which I don't mind offering, is I think the whole social media influence within society is way out of whack. So let me tell you why I say this. You know, if I have an alcohol, drug, gambling, or whatever problem, I can go to a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. I can join some form of an AA and I can get some help. Right. Why do they have these programs? They have the programs because the addiction proved over time to be problematic. And anybody within one of these programs that suffered from any form of addiction will tell you, oh, yeah, it was problematic. Do you know that they're now rehabbing 12-step programs for social media addiction? I could see exactly why, yes. So I would say we have a real problem within our society. And I think where it's challenging is when we have you know, young kids. I, I'm not saying a child should not have a phone before the age of 12. That's up to the parents. But I am saying that we have kids that are maybe at say that boyhood or or girlhood stage mm -hmm. that are at a stage of very critical and intense identity development and how they are being developed by society in many ways can be very scary i posted something on my facebook walls here we are talking about social media and it was a quote by carl jung and carl jung made this quote probably 40 or 50 years ago i guess but he said this, he said, if you don't know who you are, the world is poised and waiting to tell you who you should be. Oh, wow. That's powerful. So, okay. So we have a wise, recognized, accredited individual 50 years ago, probably prophetically declaring the problem that we will face in a generation to come. And where we are today is so many people. And listen, I've seen people that did not work their way through these stages and they're 40 and 50 year olds individuals and they're struggling 
with a sense of knowing really who they are. And so the two questions that were asked in the 60s are the questions that are repeated today. Number one was, who am I? And number two, what's my purpose? And yes. where do I fit in this thing called life or world? And if I can't find out, it is so discouraging and depressing. I'll just check out from society. And that's really what happened in the 60s. I'm not a social psychologist, but it was less about rebellion and more about trying to find some sense of identity and purpose. And we're back there again. I think because the, the like, to use the same term that you used, the, the pendulum has swung so far in one direction. Yeah. That we have not yet come back to center so that we can recalibrate and mm -hmm. be able to operate in the way that we are innately guided uh, by the creator or by by the energy that we channel or yeah. that we that we are supposed to be in from a natural yeah. perspective. So Dr. Russ, thank you so much for the amazing. I just want to remind the audience I did I did promise you that he won't disappoint and you saw how deep he went in with everything. And I wanted to recap because I took notes. I always take notes when I talk to Dr. Russ, just so you guys know. The, the six stages, which were fascinating. So the two things that stand out to me the most, the six stages, first one being the beloved son, second one being the cowboy. Makes me think of my kids because I remember those days. Third <laughs> one being the warrior. And I did see that. And I do see that now because my, my kids are at that stage, the warrior stage. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing to watch. And I loved watching them go through these stages. So now that you've identified them, I could say that that's exactly how it's kind of unfolded. And yeah. they are headed for the lover stage when you when your heart awakens and you want to share your heart. Um, I look forward to seeing them in the king stage. I think that's probably mm -hmm. the most powerful, the most awakened the most important. And, and I think of that because as a woman in my forties, that's exactly how I view men as Kings, as warriors, as tough, really powerful, powerful beings, um, where the character is sort of forged mm -hmm. and they are shaped and trusted with the power, the money and influence to guide the world and society forward. And I think that's a very, very important responsibility and then the time when they get to the point of being the sage, when they can actually, from that stage, be able to guide the younger generations as to how that they can find themselves, uh, give them important lessons, and even the term that you use to mentor them, to to yeah. really be able to deeply embody that which they yeah. are and be self-aware. So thank mm -hmm. you for that, Dr. Rice. Thank you. And, and, and I would also like to say, Simone, that as we looked at, you know, I'm born in the 60s, you know, I'm a 60s person, mm -hmm. uh, early 60s, 61. And so, you know, as everything was at its height, I was about seven or eight years old, I didn't know a lot, but I was observing. And mm -hmm. I think what happened is, as this chaos and confusion happened within society and culture, those that didn't understand fought against it by just labeling it as a movement of rebellion, which mm -hmm. we're doing today. And I would say this, that Today, we don't have a generation of young people that are as much rebellious as they're feeling lost and they're feeling let down. And here's what I mean by that is it is extremely important. Most cultures out there, if you look at African, you know, many cultures, they have what is known as a rite of passage. Now, they do it all a little bit differently. And some mm -hmm. of them might do it in ways that we'd be like, oh, we're not doing that over here. 
Um, but the interesting thing is that the success of masculinity within a culture follows the success or the passing through of a rite of passage. And I think these six stages are a sense, a part of masculine life passage. And what happens is when we don't, when we're not given the opportunity to go through these rites of passage, when those rites of passage are left out, you're always going to find an element of chaos and confusion within the culture. And I think what's happened is because maybe we didn't know who we are or don't know who we are, because maybe we have not effectively gone through the stages, or maybe we're rebelling against the stages and saying, no, 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 we don't want that anymore. A man should be a woman, a woman should be a man, and all these other things. And again, I'm not even here to condemn or to criticize any of that. I'm just simply saying this, that we now have a generation that they don't know that what they're actually looking for, which is wired within them, is a rite of passage. And outside of a rite of passage within culture, you're going to end up with measures of confusion and chaos. And that's where we are today. We have the lack of identity development that happened in the 60s is being repeated. And, and listen, culture repeats itself. I mean, mankind repeats itself about every 30 or 40 years or, you know, it just, it, it seems like we make so much progress. And yet so many of the issues and the challenges are just repeated every generation or every second generation. And so now we have the same challenge of identity development that we had 50 or 60 years ago. But secondly, we have removed, because of course we don't want to be offensive, we have removed the rite of passage in the masculine journey. And again, I can't stress enough that when you remove the rite of passage from the framework of culture, you diminish, you diminish the structure of society and what you're left with is chaos and confusion. And that's what we have right now. Yes, and I love, I also wanted to mention what I really love that you said, and I really want the audience to think of this on a deeper level. And I'd love to speak with you about it in more depth and, and hear your take on it, is what you said about the assault on the soul from the excessive amount of data that our brain alone or our neurological system has to process on an ongoing basis, especially vis-a-vis -vis the addiction to the devices that people have nowadays, where they feel like even if they're doing work and have to put their attention on something, they feel the need to pick up their phone and check social media to see yeah. what somebody posted or whatnot. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's a very important factor because you said that it's a, an assault on the soul. At first, I thought that it would just be an assault on the neurological system because it's the neurological system that has to process that information. But I'd love to to dive deeper into that to understand why the soul. But that's for another show. And, and, and the soul, and the soul really involves the mind, the will, and the emotions. Mm -hmm. And so I say an assault on the soul because you think of what's become very problematic within society. I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about us as adults. You know, I post something, I get nine likes. I'm devastated now because the guy over here that made a bowl of jello and filmed it and put it on TikTok's got 7,000 likes. And here I am bearing my soul or putting out this wonderful quote that could change culture. You know, I, you know I'm being facetious here mm -hmm. and I got nine likes. And so, you know, when, I mean, we have, that's a whole program we could do on cyberbullying, but we've got young people out there as well and adults that their whole sense of identity and value is correlated to the amount of likes that they get on a picture. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. Or a video that they post or something like that. You know, and I don't mean this to anybody out there that's listening. That's my friend on Facebook. I mean, thank you. And and I try to use Facebook at times as a healthy tool. But I would say this, you know, I, I have 3000 friends on Facebook. They're not my friends. Most of them I've never met. I don't know. They They follow me and they're called friends on Facebook, but I don't know them. And so not to devalue who they are as an individual, they're very important as human beings. But my sense of value and worth is not at all dependent on whether or not they click a like button. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people do, like, like you said, their sense of identity and also their sense of worth, their sense of success, their sense mm -hmm. of achievement, their sense <clears throat> of who they are is so tied to that. And men fall that in that category as well. Because mm -hmm. the drive towards success requires you to have this influence on social media or I don't know how many people have to like what you post to be able to prove your worth to, to society or to prove that, you know, you are successful, especially because men seek to be successful. So mm -hmm. Dr. Ross, thank you once again. I would thank love to continue the conversation, especially when it comes to the feminine energy, but that's for another show and another season. I look forward to hearing more about the masculinity when I have you on the panel interview with, uh, with another couple of gentlemen. I really want to hear how you gentlemen can dive deep to talk about what masculinity is vis-a-vis -vis what's in society today and what path can men that wish to embody masculinity can take so that they can find themselves and you've identified such important things that date back to the 60s and here we still are. Mm -hmm. And and I want to say thank you to Simone before we go and I need to run in, in 30 seconds, but I want to say thank you to you for taking on um, a very, very challenging line of coaching and challenging topics as well. These are hot potatoes. No, they're not hot yes. potatoes. They're fired up. Yes. Um, these are really challenging topics and challenging times, but they need to be dealt with. They need to be discussed. They need to be looked at. So thank you to you for making podcasts like this available to others. And again, mm -hmm. it's an honor to serve you. It's an honor to be on this. Um, you know, I, I am a sojourner. I am one in process, one on a journey like everybody else, and we're all working towards finding our way. And so thank you for what you're doing. And again, for this invitation tonight to be a part of this and look forward to uh, being on the panel as well. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge, which is so deep. And I knew that that you would connect so well with the with the audience to give them information that they can't get anywhere else. And and something of such substance and such depth so thank you once again thank and you. i look forward to our co to continue this conversation on the panel interview tomorrow you bet. Have, have a great evening thanks everybody and we'll see you in the next show thank you for tuning to the confidential we hope you enjoyed the episode and found it interesting and informative please subscribe to the show to receive notifications when new episodes are released you can also follow us on social media on instagram at The Confidential Podcast to stay up to date with all things related to the show. We appreciate your support and welcome any feedback you may have. Until next time, stay curious and keep on learning. Thank you for listening.